Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. There are two people on this podcast who know I didn't do it. Me and the guy that did do it. It's Mike and Mike go to the movies. I'm Mike Smith, and joining me, as always, is a man who has an unhealthy obsession with Betty Grable. <laughs> Mike DiGrucio. How are you doing today, Mike? Uh, you know, I'm pretty good. Honestly, the most relatable part of this movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, what's you, you were sick this past weekend, right, Mike? I was sick this weekend. Yeah, another inexplicable stomach virus, uh, which I guess is what happens when your job decides you have to be in the office for some reason. You just get sick every couple months, so that sure. sucks. But I'm recovered. <laughs> I'm here in time to do do the pods, and that's that's what matters. That is what matters. And uh, also joining us this week, returning to the podcast, it's a special edition of Mike and Mike and Mike Go to the Movies, uh, programming coordinator for the Roxy Theater, Mike Evans. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. How's it yes. going, guys? Good, good, good. Thanks for being here. What's What's been going on in the life of Evans? God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whatever you feel like you wish to disclose in the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I did, uh, I did the Sundance film festival. I did the online, uh, version of the Sundance film festival, watched 62 movies in how one week, what most of them short 12 Uh, features, 12 features and 50 shorts. Oh my God. That that is still like an ungodly amount of things. Yeah. It it really, it, it broke me a little bit. Like they're not all good too. I mean, like, these are (laughs) yeah, I mean, in in fact, most of them are probably not right. Yeah. I'd say like a quarter, I'd say a quarter (laughs) of what I watched was worth watching. Yeah. It was, uh, it was kind of an ordeal, but, uh, saw some great stuff. Hopefully some stuff that we'll be bringing to MTFF later this year. But yeah, it was a, it was a slog for real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and this is the, uh, is this the second time you've done Sundance or at least virtual Sundance? Yeah. Uh, second time okay. I've done virtual Sundance. I've never been to the, I've, I've never been to the actual like physical event. Um, right. Maybe when Art House Convergence starts back up, this is the sort of like the Art House Theater convention that precedes Sundance, I might start going to it for real. Um, that's a, but that's a big if, if it starts back up. Right. Uh, yeah. but yeah, but Sundance has been doing it virtually for a couple of years now. You did it last year, which mm-hmm. I think you had a similar experience. You were just yeah. like watching a lot of stuff and got yeah. burned, pretty burned out by the end. Uh, was it better this year than last year or was no. it? No, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's not. You didn't no, manage your time uh, I, better at all or anything like that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I watched a lot more. I mean, I, I thought I, I, you know, I thought I tapped out, but I no, I, I watched more stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I started using, um, festival director, Carrie Roche's unused movies. Cause it was a 10, it was a 10 film pass, but I'm afraid right. that's just not enough. I'm, I'm afraid 10 films just aren't enough for me. So I, right. I, I, I got, I took two from Carrie and really maxed out, but, uh, yeah. And then watched every, every short they had on offer. Um, yeah. but, uh, no, it wasn't, it was not better. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there've been some, there've been some articles kind of written about like, yeah, it's in a, it, you know, there was a big New York times article, like they're struggling a little bit to find their footing or like the, you know, maybe the days of the enormous bidding wars, which were kind of the whole point of Sundance. I mean, no one, sure. no one ever paid attention to what won. But but people paid a lot of attention to what got bought and by whom yeah. and for how much. There really wasn't that this year. I mean, there were a few there were a few big acquisitions, but but nothing compared to the days of like you know oh Beasts of the Southern Wild was purchased for twenty five million dollars. Right, <laughs> you know? right, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, even like years, like, like I think it was like last year, two years ago, maybe a Coda was sold for like you know yeah. super like a huge like I think it was the highest selling Sundance movie ever or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this year, I mean, just kind of talking about it from outside of Sundance, I feel like there wasn't that much people were really talking about. I feel like Infinity Pool might have been like the buzziest title, and that was out in theaters a week later. Like it was right. like, its Sundance premiere was more like ceremonial or whatever. Yeah, I think I mean, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Like I I was I was yeah wasn't able to see Infinity Pool. It wasn't available online, so I had to wait a whole week. Yeah. Felt really, I was really butthurt about that. Like a like, Philistine. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, because last year I got to watch um, The Worst Person in the World, like, one yeah. month before we got it. And, oh, I was such a prick about it. I was just like, <laughs> you're, you're going to like this. I watched it at Sundance and it was excellent. <laughs> And I was right. And you, that's but, really that's really what the Sundance experience is all about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lording it over other people. <laughs> exactly. But so so this year, I mean, of all the stuff that you watched, what are some of the uh, things that you would like to highlight? Stuff that you were like, oh, okay, this is some some of the strongest stuff I saw. Uh, I really loved a little film that I watched on the last night by Angus McLaughlin, who made uh, Junebug, and he's made a few films since, but right. I haven't seen them. Um, this is called A Little Prayer, and this is if you if you saw Junebug back in the day, and that was the movie with um, Alessandra Nivola and it was sort of the Amy Adams got a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Yeah. Um, it was sort of in the world of like outsider art in the in the contemporary South. But really more to sort of about this this one family. His new film is very much like that. And it's it's David Strathairn and I'm, I'm blanking on her name but it's the, the same woman who played the sort of the matriarch in Junebug plays a similar character in, in this film. Okay. And it's just it's about like, you know, basically and it's hard to describe but it's like David Strathairn's this father and he sort of realizes both his kids it's are kind of are shits like um, <laughs> like his son his son is is sort of philandering um on his like incredibly wonderful beloved daughter-in-law and he and he hates it his daughter is is a big fuck up and she moves back in ta- moves back into the house and it's just like oh god it's this huge aggravation but it's just like ultimately like a really well-structured beautiful uh little human story and and i really hope that gets a that gets a wide release because yeah, I, I really loved that film. Loved a documentary called Kim's Video about Kim's Video from uh, the famous Manhattan video rental place. Right. I knew I knew a little bit about this story, but no, had no idea. Kim's Video was already closed by the time I I moved to New York, and like I know that like lots of people, like famous film critics, famous directors, including like Alex Ross Perry, um, the great cinematographer Sean Price Williams, like they worked there. Yeah. Uh, and it was this big institution. And what I I did not know is that the collection was. So sold off all all, all together um wow. all like 40,000 discs oh, and, wow. and tapes yeah to this crappy i mean i don't mean to impugn them but kind of crappy sicilian <laughs> town <laughs> Like NYU was like, because you couldn't get this stuff anywhere. And NYU was like, please let us buy your collection, you know, of crazy like Warhol shorts that no one's ever seen, like yeah. movies, movies from all over the world, countries that you never see the cinematic offerings of. And instead, yeah, sold it to uh, this Sicilian town in this weird sort of mafia, <laughs> mafia adjacent <laughs> deal. I mean, it was it, and that it was sort of the story of, of what happened to that collection and, and the famous eccentric owner, Mr. Kim. Really is terrific doc, like absolutely on my hook. Loved a short film uh, called A Flying Sailor, animated short film, then found out that it's nominated for Best Animated Short Film. Wow. Oh, at the Oscars um, this year? Yeah, yeah, this nice. year. Okay. <laughs> I had no idea. So I have a dog in the, I, I, you know, this year I've been kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know, Paul Mescal, he's not going to win, but mm, do sure, it. yeah. <laughs> And now I finally have a dog in the fight. I'm like, yeah, come on, come on, a flying sailor. Best animated uh, short. Let's go. Best animated <laughs> short. 
it was terrific. It was really, it's just amazing. That'll be the pick um, that puts you over in the Roxy pool. The, the that, that might do it. That Tr- might do truly, it. Truly, in, in an Oscar ballot, like the shorts block is like the thing that make or break it. Like it's, nobody, yeah, it's the, uh, nobody knows what they're doing. It's the leveler. <laughs> it's the, yeah. Um, I often, but will like, because wa- I don't know anything about them and I'll watch, I'll like watch the reel and then vote. Ah. You know, like, oh wait, that one's about the Holocaust. <laughs> yeah, pick that <laughs> one. my vote. Yes. <laughs> Um, but no, I've I've really, I'm rooting for a flying sailor, had a grand time watching the absolutely batshit movie, uh, divinity just stoned out of our gourds with some friends. That is a sci, a black and white sci-fi movie starring, um, Steven Dorff and Scott Bakula. I'm in. Say less. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. I I wish I could, I, I could talk about that for the next like hour. It's just like, long story short, the the immortality is discovered, but it makes the human race sterile. So everyone, so the, so, you know, then cut to a hundred years later, earth is radically depopulated. The only people left on the earth are giant muscle men. (laughs) Like, uh, (laughs) like Mr. Universe is in this movie. Like these huge in every, every man in this movie, is like a giant inverted triangle of muscles and every, woman is from porn um, it's just that's who he could get that's who this right. film could get it was yeah absolutely crazy uh you know i i have to compare it to like yeah cult sci-fi movies from like 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 liquid sky or um the american astronaut if you've ever seen those um it is so so low budget it was all shot in like the same like clearly like bitcoin monsters uh arizona branch house <laughs> um yeah just absolutely crazy um i really liked an a24 film called uh, all dirt roads taste of salt um that's a uh, by a first-time filmmaker uh barry jenkins so that's about that movie's about two generations of uh a black family in the deep okay. south this is uh, a different barry jenkins than the barry jenkins that made Moonlight. No, it is. It was produced by Barry Jenkins. Oh, it wasn't, okay, gotcha, it wasn't gotcha. directed by him. It's a first-time filmmaker um, whose name I do not recall. They, okay. all, everyone's name got a little. When you little watch, when, when you've watched sixty movies in seven days, yeah, that Raven, all... uh, written and directed by um, Raven Jackson. And I had okay. just seen, um, I just seen in, in the Sight and Sound series, uh, Daughters of the Dust, and this seemed to be sort of like continuing that legacy a little bit. And that, yeah, as I said, A twenty four is putting that out probably pretty soon. Nice. Uh, yeah, and that was that was for a, especially for a first film by a director still in their twenties. That was a that was a really impressive uh piece of work so yeah um there w- there was some good stuff there was a lot of stuff that i don't really know what to make of some yeah um you know i like uh netflix one of the big one of the bigger deals of sundance was uh, a movie called fair play uh, right. with, with um, alden ehrenreich right ehrenreich and uh that's gonna be on netflix in a few months and you know i, I enjoyed it it was fun i'd check it out nice. but um yeah kind of a, a financial a thriller in the financial world but yeah it was you know overall it was a it was a kind of a gauntlet yeah <laughs> it was a challenge and you and you made it through and then uh and now you've you've had a week to rest like mm-hmm. you've, man- you've managed to mm-hmm. get through it all i did i i ended up seeing one sundance movie through you uh which was fancy dance with lily gladstone yeah. which uh which i thought was pretty good i enjoyed it yeah um yeah very very solid uh it's about a native american woman whose sister has gone missing she's taking care of her sister's daughter but her father comes into the picture and he claims in custody of the daughter and there's a sort of legal battle between the two of them it turns into a crime thriller and I think the first half is stronger than the second half, but it is overall like a pretty good time. I liked it. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad we were able to see that on the big screen because um, yes. it really, it, that really benefited. It really benefited from that. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. But there you go. So there's, that's a, like a kind of a rundown of just Sundance Film Festival, some recent stuff. So thank you for that, Emmons. But you took, you took, you took a break. Now you've uh, relaxed for a little bit and you went back and watched uh, a, a much older movie. This is, 
<laughs> I mean, you just talked about a lot of very, very recent stuff. Uh, now we're going back to the 1950s with this one. And today on the podcast, the reason Mike Emmons is here uh, is because today we're talking about Billy Wilder's Stalag 17 from 1953. And the reason we're doing this is because, I guess it was back in December. We talked about this a little bit hey, last week yeah. on the podcast. It's, it's a really convoluted explanation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason, I guess it was back in December. There was that sort of meme going around of like, you know, put this out on Twitter, have 12 of your friends, select 12 movies for you to watch throughout the year. And so we all kind of jumped on that. Like, I think actually, Emmons, you were the first one that I saw to do that. And then I took it and set, shared it and my D did the same. And Mike D and I have used it for each other for like, hey, this is great for the podcast. We can do Mike Makes Mike Watches for the entire year. Just outline them. But our buddy Jake, uh, who has donated to this podcast many times, commented on all three of our uh, <laughs> our list things that he wants us to watch Stalag 17. And since Jake is a frequent donor to the podcast, uh, <laughs> we thought, okay, fine. He can buy an episode, <laughs> which is Turns not the out. first, it's not the first time he's done that either. We also did Batman forever and Batman and Robin last year, uh, because right. of yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just Jake throwing um, money around, making it happen. Exactly. <laughs> buy the content you want to listen to in yeah. the world is what yes. we're telling our audience. He's, I, I mean, he, Jake's been trying to get me to watch Stalag like 17 for at least 15 years. So has he really? <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> so at least, you know, I'm glad uh, I'm glad he found a loophole. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And so, and the so when you're bond of a Twitter meme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. We, uh, and we commit to the bit here. Yes, yeah. we absolutely do. And so because he commented on all three of ours with Slug 17 and we all put it on the list, we all kind of like said, well, I guess this has to be a podcast episode now. We have to bring back Mike and Mike and Mike go to the movies uh, to talk Slug 17. Uh, so we're going to do that in just a second. But first, got to tell people that uh, all the theme songs that you're going to hear this episode uh, were created by Kyle Cullen. You can reach your own theme songs at kylespodcastthemes at gmail.com. Our logo was designed by Mac V, whose art you can find at Fearless Guard on Twitter. Uh, and if you ever want to contact us, respond to someone did in the show, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. And now it's time for Stalag 17. confining but never dull in Stalag 17. The boys were up to something new every minute. There were the races every afternoon. The dance on Saturday night. Did anybody ever tell you you had the most beautiful legs in the world? The cocktail hour when the bar was open. <coughs> what are you serving today? Nitric acid! And if you think everything was roses, it wasn't. Stalag 17 was a hellhole where no man ever escaped alive. One of us is a stoolie, a dirty, stinking stoolie. One of them a German spy reporting every move to von Scherbach, the commandant. One of them a hunted fugitive as the Nazis turned Stalag 17 inside out and upside down to find him. One of them a big-time operator who played the million-to-one shot tunneling out of Stalag 17. Just one more word. If I ever run into any of you bums on a street corner, just let's pretend we never met before.
that was from the trailer for Stalag 17 from 1953, directed by Billy Wilder. It stars William Holden, Don Taylor, Otto Preminger, Robert Strauss, Harvey Lembeck, Richard Erdman, Peter Graves, and Neville Brand, among others. Uh, so, Mike, you said Jake has been trying to make you watch this movie for a really, really long time. It's uh, true. Is, is there any reason you resisted, or was it one of those things where it's like, ah, you know, because you want me to watch this so much, I'm not going to watch this, <laughs> sir? Or just never got around to it. I think there might have been a little of all three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, which, which is which is stupid of me because, like, I don't know. Friends, whenever friends recommend me something, and I hold I hold off for a long time just to screw with them, sure. and then I finally relent. I love it. Like a friend tried to get me to play the video game inside for a really long long time, and then I did, and it's like my favorite game ever. So, yeah. <laughs> but I enjoyed I enjoyed taunting him every time he would bring it up. Like, sure. you know, wait, what's this game you're mentioning? I've never yeah. heard of it. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the world's biggest uh, Hollywood cinema of the 1950s. Uh, I mean, I'm not not a fan, and and I and I loved this movie. Okay, uh, alert, I loved this movie. But um, no, I just like I'm not it's not really like my wheelhouse. And so I sometimes uh, it takes me a little bit to like, oh, OK, yeah, a movie with, you know, like nothing but white dude. And so like, you know, <laughs> and yeah, no female characters. And oh, it's, an, it's a movie about people in the army. Great. Right. Uh, and yeah, so I was kind of I was a little resistant um, and I enjoyed, you know, making making Jake frustrated. So, uh, yeah, it's I don't have good reasons, but yeah, I do have I did have reasons, but I'm I'm very glad that that I finally I finally wised up. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Mike D, were you familiar with Slog 17 at all uh, before Jake made us watch this? I think maybe only in title only like I had maybe heard of this movie uh, and I don't really know in what context or where or whatever. Like, you know, maybe I saw it as like a coming this week on TCM kind of bumper between movies or something. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't really have any full uh, context or or history or knowledge of this movie. But um, I think I've talked about a little bit before on the pod that like Billy Wilder specifically is like one of those like big auteur air quotes directors from that era that like I, is a blind spot for me. And I've been like meaning to like dig into Billy Wilder movies. Uh, so I'm glad that maybe this will have kickstarted that for me, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I have been a fan of Billy Wilder for a long time. Um, you know, I, somebody I was introduced to in college and this is like in a stretch of movies that I think are pretty incredible. It's like Sunset Boulevard, uh, Sunset Boulevard, 1950, 51, Ace in the Hole, 53, Stalag 17, 54, Sabrina and 55, The Seven Year Itch. Like that's, that's a very yeah, good run of movies right there. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't even include like this guy also made Witness for the Prosecution and Some Like a Hot in the Apartment and Double Indemnity and uh, a ton of great movies uh, throughout his very long career. And I had never heard of Slog 17. I was not familiar with this, <laughs> with this at all for whatever reason. Like may, maybe I had seen the title somewhere like you might do, but I, I was not familiar with this. And so uh, when Jake put it out there and uh, wanted us to watch it, uh, I had to like research like what the hell is this movie uh, <laughs> and looked it up. And I was like, OK, this actually this does sound pretty good uh, and went to watch it and uh, was very pleasantly surprised that uh, I loved this. This was great. Uh, I, I really enjoyed Slog 17. Uh, and it's one of those things that it feels like an underrated gem. It feels like one that like because it wasn't really on my radar, it's one that like, oh, it, it's like one of my like best surprises in a while. Like uh, like this movie that Jake recommended was actually good. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Go to it. Yeah. But J Jake did message me um, a couple of days ago uh, to tell, so because he had heard that we were reviewing it, I hadn't like directly told him, but we mentioned it on the podcast last week. And Jake 
uh, an avid listener and donor, which again, we appreciate Jake. <laughs> Just if I keep saying it, maybe he'll give us more money. Um, <laughs> and so, and so he messaged us saying, I'm excited. You guys are watching Slack 17. I can't really be objective about it because it is one of those movies I would watch on TCM with my dad when it was on. So it's hard to separate those fun childhood memories from what, if, from whether it's actually good or not. But, uh, you know, he's excited to hear interesting, fresh eyes, everything like that. He also gave me two fun facts. Uh, one is that William Holden has the record for the shortest Oscar acceptance speech because he won Best Actor for this movie. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, and his speech was just he went up there, took the award, and said thank you, and left. Uh, which shorter even than Pesci. Yeah. <laughs> what was what was Pesci's speech like? All right. Pesci's was Pesci's for Goodfellas was it's my privilege, thank you. Yes. So he, wow. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So William Holden. Three words, three words longer than Holden. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, just said thank you and left, which apparently was like a time thing. Like it was like one of those things where like the Oscars are running long. I'm just going to cut this short and get out of there. But that was his first thing. And then his second thing, which I did know, but it was fun looking for him and spotted him pretty quickly, uh, is that Leonard from Community is one of the POWs. What? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so you didn't realize that, I guess. No. <laughs> uh, Richard, yeah, he, Richard Erdman. Yeah, he, Richard Erdman. He plays Hoffy in the movie. Uh, wow. Like, sort of one of the leaders of the camp. But yeah, it was Leonard from Community, and that That's was crazy. pretty exciting. He's yeah, like a main he, guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. And I think, and it was one of those things where I, I once I knew that it was him, I was like, oh yeah, I could, I could see the resemblance to Leonard. And then I was also like, I'm pretty sure Richard Erdman's like the star of like a pretty big big Twilight Zone episode, but I'm blanking on which Twilight Zone episode it is. Yeah, he, the one where I want to say like you can, he, the guy can stop time with a stopwatch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. That's him. Um, yes. No, everyone in this movie, I mean, it's it's really an on, like an ensemble piece. Um, yes. Like the, like the killing or something where it's like everyone in it is like, had like a huge career and or like a fat or a fascinating career, though maybe none more sort of crazy than him because you know he he was still working up until like a few years ago <laughs> yeah, he, yeah he only died back away. in like yeah. 2019 or something yeah. um yeah. yeah so very very it was very cool to see him in this also i mean peter graves who i mostly know from airplane plays uh frank price the uh, the guy who was eventually revealed to be the mole in the movie right and yeah so that was pretty cool to see him otto preminger the director of anatomy of a murder and laura he's one of the nazis in this. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just a really cool, like, like cool 1950s ensemble cast, uh, which I love. Jake also messaged me and said that, uh, you know, one of his things about the movie that he really loves is that it has a tone about World War II that he doesn't think people really do anymore because it's a thing that happened to a lot of people that were watching the movie uh, rather than like good guys versus the ultimate evil. Uh, so it can kind yeah. of be goofy about it, you know? <laughs> no, and people and people who were in the movie. Like, yes, like Peter Graves was was in the army in World War Two. He fought right. in the European front. <laughs> Like Don Taylor, who plays um, who plays the lieutenant, who uh, who sort of come you know enters the enters the movie uh, yes. kind of halfway through, was in the Army Air Force. Like a lot of these guys saw service. Uh, William Holden's brother, I learned, I didn't know this, but was yeah shot down over the Pacific. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was so fresh in people's minds, and it wasn't. Jake's absolutely right. Like it wasn't quite this like and the the things hadn't been codified yet into like you know a bat like it was the the ultimate battle between good or good and evil or things right. quite so solemn and quite so, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, and it is, it's a really weird tone. I kept sort of saying during the movie, like, Oh, well, another goofy Nazi commandant. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, you know, it is, it can be kind of uncomfortable and weird. Um, but, uh, it's also, you know, it's not treacly either. It's not, no. not Shawshank Redemption. Like it is, no one's pretending like whether or not this, these guys break out is going to be the turning point of the war. I mean, it is just, it's just, you know, it's kind of what the narrator says at the beginning. Like there hasn't been a story, there hasn't been a movie about POWs and there were a lot of us. So yes. I'm going to tell one, Hey, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Classic cookie. We love him. Love yeah, him. He's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I like the way this movie kind of mixes together, you know, comedy with drama. Uh, and it is it is based on a play. And I think you can feel that, you know, it, there's it, a lot of it takes place just like in the barracks in one room. But the ensemble is, is so, so good. And the, the dialogue is so good. And yeah, it's just I, I had a great time with this. I, I really, really enjoyed this movie way more than I expected to. I think something like this could feel very stiff, you know, be, being like a, a war drama from the 50s. Like, and there are great ones, obviously, like from that era that I'm not mentioning right now. But like, you know, when you just hear that, I think like you were saying, Evans, like it's just one of those things like there's a hump you have to get over to uh, to maybe appreciate this. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, this while I was watching this, this is one. Of, it's one of those experiences that's more and more common in me now when I'm watching older movies. We are like, we used to have fucking movies, man. Like, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is this is you know granted what like you know Billy Wilder with this great ens- ensemble cast and everything, but there's just so much like art being put on screen for us here, uh, and just in- incredible craft. That just is stuff that you don't see now. I don't know, like having having shots be like the entire length of the bunkhouse and like there's stuff going on at every point like the foreground the middle ground the yeah. background everything's going on people are having conversations and you're following the action uh and the dialogue and whatever's going on instead of it just being shot reverse shot shot reverse shot shot reverse shot of every conversation uh mm-hmm. and, and stuff and just long takes there's there was one in, in particular when it's one of like the big goof bits with the the uh distillery or whatever and they're like getting drunk and they're like, the only, only promise we have is you don't go blind or whatever, you know, kind of thing. And the two guys, Animal and uh, Shapiro, Sh- Shapiro, yeah, like the two, the, the class clowns basically are getting drunk and they're like, we're going to talk to management. And like, it's still just all one shot. That scene doesn't end when they then move from the bar over to talk to Sefton. And it's just all, right. it's like a five minute scene just because like we can. Uh, it makes sense that it's a play thinking about it in that sense now uh, or based on a play. But like, you know, there'd be shots and and edits and everything that'd be cut to hell in a movie from now uh and sure. that's just Absolutely. while you're watching this movie you're like holy shit man the thing <laughs> don't forget the things they've taken from you the <laughs> so, artistry yeah. yeah that's all i can no. think while watching this best movie i've seen in years you know <laughs> <laughs> no mike yeah the exact same problem like yeah the the, the complete lack of like of hand holding like you yes. you're kind of on your own like you have to you have to figure out who everyone is what everyone's deal is simply by what you see even even with a voiceover nar- narrator yeah or a narrator kind of providing a little bit of voiceover you know uh, over the course of the film yeah which just gives you like a little bit of context for like what exactly a pow camp is you know yeah yeah that's about all everything else you kind of have to do on your own but like very gradually and very and very effectively you sort of you get a sense of who every one of the main characters or in, and even the minor characters are and that's that's really i don't know they're like yeah we don't we don't kind of do things that way anymore and it's (laughs) and it's to our detriment i feel like you know the yeah the tone you know the tone is really weird and it's really jarring and at times it's even it's a little it's problematic it's like yeah this wasn't funny like you know i mean there's a scene where where animal and shapiro like literally like fling paint at a or like paint the face of a nazi officer and it's like they'd be killed right (laughs) they'd be shot (laughs) 
Or, um, this or when they're not... playing volleyball and the the <laughs> the guard gives them their rifle so the guard can play volleyball. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, it went, you know, yeah. Uh, German POW camps in World War II were not a place where things were constantly jumping off. Yeah, <laughs> they were. Yeah, but it's like we're not, we're not, you know, I mean, you know, if you watch like Orange Is the New Black, it's like we're no better, you know. Like, yeah, no, right. Uh, you know, that depicted federal prison as like you know basically a strict high school where you right. could dig to freedom wherever, you, whenever you wanted. Um, yeah, or grow weed in the garden. Uh, right. Yeah, it's no, it's uh, it, it, it's not. I, I, one thing. I mean, I, I knew about the movie. And I knew, well, I knew it was about a prison camp. I didn't, I didn't know it was a comedy. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I was kind of thrown for that, and I really didn't know thrown by that, and I really didn't know it was a comedy so broad that it was using like Looney Tunes jokes. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, at yeah. one point, uh, Annabelle, Animal looks at his uh, best buddy, and she, <laughs> who's wearing like a mop on his head. <laughs> And he becomes Betty Grable, the yes. uh, his object of desire. Uh, yes. And he's kind of like, 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 like when a starving cartoon on a life raft will become yep. a turkey. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Although yeah, that so scene, he, I, I sort of wanted to highlight because that, that's that whole sequence, like the like Christmas morning dance ball thing like really stood out in like a weirdly not heteronormative is the wrong word but like a contesting heteronormative or whatever Mm -hmm. heteronormativity uh, where it's just like guys being dudes you know like type thing but like also knowing that Billy Wilder made some like it hot which also is like about cross-dressing and everything it's just like a weird connection to draw that like in in a situation where like societal norms are stripped from us like those things go away where it's like we just need companionship in like a it's all a goof you know like we're all just kind of laughing and drinking our whatever moonshine made out of a potato peels or whatever <laughs> yeah. uh but then he turns into Betty Grable and it's like <laughs> and animal has like a kind of like a real deep emotional moment with him uh yeah. and it's played as a goof but it still was a moment that like stood out as something that like you know the haze code and all that shit like I can't believe this got they got away with this in some way I don't know <laughs> I mean, and the men are dancing with each other. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. They're, yeah, they're slow dancing with each other because there's nobody else to dance with. And like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, it, it. I mean, I think there there are these. You know, it's not nothing is nothing is telegraphed, and and you know, like ethnicity. That one of the that one of the the POWs is named Shapiro. Right. You know, is is like that's never it's never particularly commented on. It's not even like alluded to that right. you know, if this if this is making his life harder, if he's living in absolute terror, that he's going to be you know sent away from a POW camp into a you know an even worse situation. Right. Like it's never it's never mentioned, but like you know it's but that that's always there. That those that you know you feel that stuff even if it's not even if it's not sort of thrown in your face. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, It was really interesting. I mean, like, yeah, I don't know the writers of the play. I think the screenplay was just sort of adapted right from their play. And I don't, I don't really know those writers, but yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see on stage too. Cause it's just, it it actually is a really compelling method of storytelling. There's some, there's some really beautiful scenes in this. Like, um, the scene where I think it's animal who's talking to one of, one of the POWs is, is, has PTSD and he, and he can't speak, Mm, uh, but he plays in the arena and like, he's, he's got this letter for, I mean, in this scene, he's his animal is reading a letter to him. I think it's animal. Might be Shapiro. Yeah. I think he's reading, is it? Yeah. He's reading a letter from home to him and it's like you go through 
so many emotions in this scene where the letter is like, <laughs> when you come home, we want you to resume your, your law school. Right. Yes. And, yeah. And you, your heart is just like in a vice because you know, like, oh man, this guy's not going back to law school. Like he can't even speak anymore. Right. And then an animal says like, you don't, you tell him, you don't, you tell them you don't want to be a lawyer anymore. You want to play the flute because you love your ocarina. And he gets this big smile and you're, and you, you know, your heart's released from the vice. And then the smile fades because, you know, maybe he's never getting, even going to get out of here. It's just like, yeah, it, yeah. You just go on this, in this one minute scene, you go on such a roller coaster ride of emotions that is just like, God damn, that is like, that's really powerful. Yes. Um, yeah, there's yeah. a sim- there's a similar scene. This one's more of a comedic scene, but uh, there's another scene where somebody's getting a letter. I think it's Shapiro, but from his yeah. girl back home, and she's <laughs> and she's telling him in the letter, like, "Oh, by the way, there's this baby that uh, you know you're never gonna believe this, but there's this baby that got delivered to our house, and now we're taking care of it. And uh, you know, she has my eyes and my nose. You're never gonna believe it. It's crazy." And he's like, "Why did you keep saying I'm never gonna believe it? I believe it. Of course I believe it." I- I believe yeah. it. Like, yeah. You know? And uh, yeah, I think what's great about this is like the, the, there's very much very funny, very broad comedic moments uh, and a lot of like character based humor, but it's all very much rooted in like the sadness of these guys' lives. And the, I think that mixture uh, makes this movie so potent. It's, it's really great. Yeah. I think the the Shapiro mail thing is he gets like five or six letters at one mail call and he's like, all these ladies at home want to talk to Sweet Lips Shapiro. And he opens, right. all, the, opens all the letters and it's this car loan always overdue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, but the, it's like, yeah, just thinking about this movie and like the era it came out in and just like, it's crazy that it used to, like you could have a, like a whole movie full of guys whose whole shtick is that they got a voice. Yeah, like the, like the mail call guy who just like has a, has a weird nasally voice Addies. and he said, Addies. Yeah. yeah, at the end of every <laughs> sentence. Um, and I, he's like one of my favorite characters in the whole movie. And I love that guy. Like, and I would follow him anywhere. It's incredible that this movie is 60 of those guys <laughs> in one movie, um, in one barracks, you know? Yeah, um, that, that is the thing. It's a big ensemble. And you would think that maybe, okay, well, some of them are going to be more prominent than others or whatever. But really kind of everybody gets their own moments. Uh, and it just feels like a very lived in barracks that you get to kind of observe and be a part of. And you see all these different kind of character based things. It's all very like small, subtle things that all come together to make it feel like these are really people that are just stuck together for a while in this POW camp. Yeah, and and uh, I did want to go back to Joey real quick while we were talking about it, who's the uh, Ocarina guy with the PTSD that can't speak right. anymore. Like, there's a mean version of this movie where he's, like, the butt of all the jokes or one yeah. of them, and he's handled with such, like, compassion and empathy throughout this movie, his character, that I was, like, really relieved <laughs> at first because <laughs> you never really know. Uh, but then, uh, like, kind of, like, shocked and, like, so very happily surprised that, like, wow, you know, in a time where, you know, the 50s are always presented as the, like, buttoned-up, prim and proper, repressed, like, you know, looking in looking backwards that's how it's like sure. hindsight uh but like look no they're actually openly talking about this is what watching i think the six people in your planes guts splattered over the wall is what they like tell him tell the commandant or whatever is what he saw uh and like the ptsd and what that would do to you and what the the real and on top of all the goofy tricking the uh what's the guy's name i don't remember the commandant to say like funny stuff in German uh, sure. on top of all those goofs like oh no there's also real stuff that is like serious <laughs> that we yes. should talk about in this movie you know yeah I think I think with a movie like this and with uh, I think a lot of older movies I think one of my favorite things about watching older movies is they they really do serve like as a time capsule of that yeah. era and uh, I think 
something like this, which is made so shortly after World War II. Like, it, it just feels so fresh. And that's why I really love, I mean, like, I love watching movies that were made during World War II that are about the war because that's just really interesting. You see something like Casablanca or The Great Dictator, I think right. it's a great example of, like, oh, th- like, they were taking down Hitler during this time, like, like while <laughs> Hitler was still around, right? You know, uh, creating this kind of satire. Uh, and I feel like something like Slog 17, it has a little bit of hindsight. You know, World War II is, like, at eight years past at this point. I think the play was written in, like, 1951, so, like, six years after World War or two or whatever it, whatever it is, but it's all still very fresh in people's minds, uh, and that's something that make, makes this movie feel more vital to me because it's about like an actual historical event. It's about things that people actually went through. That uh, you know, we we if we were to make a World War II movie now, would not have that perspective of it anymore. Like, obviously, it would still be about something that people actually went through, but it's not something that like the people making the movie would have gone through. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got the you know whatever sixty. 80 years of uh, like iconography and and all that stuff and Jinoism and blah, 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 all the stuff you talked about before uh, attached to all that and what we'd have to, what everything signifies now versus what it meant in 1951 or whatever it is. Yeah. It also had me thinking weirdly. I mean, this is, you know, it's a a movie about a POW camp, people stuck in there and it's, uh, it's sort of a comedy and it kind of really is a comedy. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it had me thinking like Hogan's heroes exist and it's like basically the same thing, (laughs) basically the same thing. True. And then I was like thinking about how weird it is that there was like a six season TV show that was just this, <laughs> this that it was like, you know, it's set in a Nazi POW camp uh, for that lasted. And it was like wildly successful. It was a very popular show. And just how like perplexing that is, like as a concept that that, that existed, it was on network TV. It was like a big broad comedy set during a very serious time. But I, I guess, you know, MASH also existed, uh, which is right. about the Korean War. And that was also and I think this also kind of reminded me of the movie MASH, at least um, just in terms of like like how it's kind of treating the war with like a kind of irreverence, but also like acknowledging like, yeah, this is still a pretty serious thing that's happening. Yeah, the two, I mean, like they they keep hearkening back and to the two people who escape in the first scene of the, or try to escape in the first scene of the film were like mowed down. And it's like, yeah, you you know, you're never allowed to forget the stakes. I mean, even though things are getting very silly and and this is not an accurate portrayal of life in a German prison camp, it is like, at least you'd, you'd never quite are allowed to forget that this is that these are life and death stakes that you know and and not just not just for these men but for the world um you know and and i yeah it's got this like this really refreshing anti-fascism strain i mean it it might be it might be jingoist it might be good old american like these are our boys but it's like when they're given a copy of mein kampf to (laughs) to uh self-indoctrinate yes nobody even wants to touch it they throw it across the room and then they put on the big you know the big mockery of hitler yeah um yeah, it's which, like which had a great punchline so when uh, Otto Preminger comes in. I, I think it's Otto Preminger, and he comes in and says, "Like, oh, one fear is enough." <laughs> was that was that was Otto Preminger the guard or was he the the commandant? The, the camp? Okay, yeah, it might not have been. It, he's Colonel von Sherbach, and then the the guard is Schultz. So it was, I guess it was Schultz. But yeah, he yeah he says like, "Yeah, one fear is enough," and it was very funny. <laughs> Yeah. Is it, I mean, was it, like, I don't know how the how did the Hogan's Heroes people get away with that? Like, because it is that. I it mean, is like, the same concept. Yeah, it is the same. <laughs> it's the movie, <laughs> but not. But everything's renamed, and it's a show. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how they how they swung that avoided <laughs> serious litigation. But. I think I was I was looking I was looking it up before, and I do think. Um, the writers of the play may have tried unsuccessfully to sue Hogan's Heroes. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, at the time, like when Hogan, like when Hogan's Heroes was a season or two in or whatever, uh, and I think whatever judge was in charge of it was like, ah, oh, they're like different enough. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's fine. They gave it a shot. Seth, his name's Sefton, not Hogan. Totally yeah. different. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's different. a different thing. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, also, I, I did want to mention this too when I was kind of looking at stuff. I thought this was funny that uh, the, there's a there's the Nickelodeon TV show, The Penguins of Madagascar, which is a spinoff of the Madagascar movies. And there's a running joke in that show, which I'm finding I found out about while doing research for this, uh, that there's two penguins that they talk about every once in a while that they reference about like you know the fact that they either died or they made a mistake and that never show up on screen. And their names are Manfredi and Johnson. Get the hell uh, out of here. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. incredible. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's a solid, that's a solid reference for this children's TV show that I've never seen. <laughs> but yeah, other other stuff about Slack Seventeen, other things I want. I, I going back to the Looney Tunes bits. There, there is a moment uh, when they, I, uh, I think it's Animal and Shapiro. They are sneaking into the uh, the other camp next door, which is all Russian women. The and, camp across the lake. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> and so, and they're like doing a thing with like the paintbrush, where they're kind of just like painting the ground as if they're supposed to be going over there, and they just like salute to the guard, like walk through, and then the guard realizes what's going on and chases after them, and then like to escape, they like paint his face and run away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, which not yeah, a good I mean, idea. Yeah. <laughs> Again, in real life, that would probably go yeah. differently. But uh, in this moment, it, it makes for a very funny Looney Tunes-esque bit, uh, which was great. <laughs> it's, it's almost like it's like a one step short of like a banana peel slip sound effect as they run away. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the level of goof it is. It's like a slide whistle and everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The, the guy who played Animal, I, I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything before, Robert Strauss, but yeah. he's amazing. I mean, yeah. he, he he received a Best Supporting Actor nomination, and he um, he's one of those like indelible, I mean, mid-century actors. He's like, yeah, I was born. I, I was I, you watching this movie. You fall into so many Wikipedia rabbit holes. Absolutely. Um, but like, yeah, so he was like born in New York, lived his whole life in New York, died in New York, and he just is like his his energy is so is so vivid. He is yeah, he was reminding me like Timothy Carey, who was in a lot of, of Kubrick stuff, Paths of Glory and, and The Killing and stuff. Um, right. He, and yeah, I don't know. I Yeah, I loved his performance. I, I, I've i seen some William Holden movies. I, you know, I saw The Wild Bunch. But like, he's he's also, I mean, he's like the template for, I mean, it was just, it was just so interesting watching him and like seeing, watching this movie for the first time and see, and like, oh, that's, that's who George Clooney was doing in Out of Sight or right. that's who, you know, who, yeah, like. So what Steve McQueen is doing in The Great Escape or something. Great, like yeah, yeah, just yeah. that, yeah, that energy of like super, like, super, like cool dad, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, a, like, and maybe he got it from Bogart. I don't know. But like, yeah, just, yeah, doesn't take shit. I mean, he spends the entire movie sitting down. He's like, yeah. <laughs> For the protagonist of a film, and he is definitely that. I mean, the poster was just like William Holden, blah, just his face and his cigar. Like, you know, yeah, he doesn't do anything for three quarters of the film except yeah. be cool and be smart. He's <laughs> passive. He's he's loose, and it's just like it, it's it's irresistible. I mean, he's so he's so much fun. Yeah, to watch in this movie, and it's just like ah, oh, I want to go into like a William Holden, Robert Strauss marathon because man, he was he was so great and like. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what became of Holden because I know, I, you know, my most recent like Holden experience was uh, Licorice Pizza. Well, you know, uh, Sean Penn basically plays William Holden. Right. Yes. In Licorice yeah. Pizza as like, you know, a drunken asshole who <laughs> you know, almost gets a teenage girl's neck broke. Right. Um, but, you know, so, you know, that's unfortunate. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, I was just like, yeah, where like he just really seems like, yeah, again, the the model for so many screen heroes, you know, Han Solo is like kind of yeah. got a bit of that, a bit of that energy. 
Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. There's one scene in particular with William Holden that I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen and like the scariest stunt I've ever seen. It's not, not like really, but when, I think it's when they get Mein Kampf, like from the male guy, uh, and he throws it and Animal or, or maybe it's the... Uh, the security guy that like ends up being the, the mole gets my confidence. He's like, here, Sefton, why don't you take it? And he like throws it as hard as he can across the entire barracks. And William Holding is sitting on a stool being shaved by Cookie. And all he does is twi- like twitch his head to yeah. the side and dodge the book <laughs> without moving, without flint. Like the, all he does is just whoop and dodges this phone book sized hardback thrown in yeah. his face. Uh, and I was just like absolutely stunned. I was like, yeah. this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. Yes. He's got the reflexes of a Waffle House waitress. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. No, he's he's so fantastic in this movie. And his character is so cool that it becomes like a detriment to him because everybody else starts to suspect that he is the rat. Right. Uh, in the movie. And I like the way that the movie kind of introduces that concept where, you know, the movie opens with this uh, Manfredi and Johnson thing where they try to escape and they're kind of taking bets like, hey, they're going to make it out. And William Holden's like, no, they're, they're yeah. not going to. Yeah, I'm going uh, to bet that they get killed. Yeah. Yes. And uh, and he was correct. <laughs> um, yeah. And so everybody starts to suspect him because he's also somebody who's very good at trading with the Nazis. He's somebody who gets pretty much anything he wants. You know, he trades some cigarettes. He gets a stove. He gets, you know, he gets to eat an egg in the morning and right. all that kind of stuff. And then people start to suspect him and it becomes like kind of a thing where everybody turns against him and they beat him up at one point and he spends like the last half of the movie with his like face black and blue. And then, yeah, I think the movie, one of my favorite things about the movie is it's a comedy also, but it's it's also kind of a whodunit where you're trying to figure out well, who is the actual guy. Like we, the movie doesn't even tell you William Holden's not the guy. Like you don't know that for sure. You're pretty sure he won't be because he's William Holden, but like it doesn't actually say it. And so it could be any one of these guys. And it, the movie, I think, does a pretty good job of, like, kind of setting it up where, like, yeah, you you know a little bit about each guy, but you don't know too much where you're like, I think that's the guy. Like, there's no moment where I was like, that's definitely the one uh, until it's finally revealed. And it's like, OK, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love the, the the slow feed of that and, like, the just the, like, suspense and tension of seeing the the light on the wire be like tied into a knot or whatever is like the signal yeah. for how they have the uh, exchange of information and everything. And just like having that be a thing that goes on like in the environment of the movie until the movie like decides it's time for you to know <laughs> like who it is. Uh, it's just a great way to like ratchet that tension up. Like, is anybody going to notice what's happening? What's going on with that? And to have, uh, to have Sefton William, William Holden's character, like spy on it and figure it out first and not tell everybody immediately was really interesting. And he like plays that to the chest. So like he can be the hero kind of thing. Uh, yeah. It was, was interesting. I liked it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Any other, uh, scenes, any random thoughts you guys have about Stalag 17 uh, that you guys want to throw out there? Mm. Um, the scene I wanted to, to piggyback off what Emmons was saying before about, um, was it Strauss was the guy that played, uh, animal? Yes. Is that his, yeah. 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 With his, just his performance in general is like incredible. In particular, there's the one scene where it's like, I think it's in the first half at least where it's like still pretty much like the Shapiro and, and animal like comedy hour section yeah. of the movie. But there's the one moment where like they're seeing the, the new uh, women being brought to the camp for the Russian section of the camp across the fence. And you're all, they're all like hooting and hollering and it's like a big goof. And, you know, they're like, do the eye, their, you know, tongue is rolling all the way out across the floor, <laughs> turning <laughs> to cartoon wolves, you know, doing the whole thing. Uh, an animal is doing that um, yeah, <laughs> until, until like, he's just like absolutely overcome and falls across the wire that they're not allowed to cross. And everyone's like, they're going to kill you. And he's like, I do not care. Like, I will die. 
<laughs> but it starts as a joke. Like it starts as a goofy scene until he's like, yeah. no, literally, I want to die. I do not care. I want, like, and it becomes a very yeah. serious moment. Like that that shift from LOL, get me closer to the women to I, like, no, literally kill me. Uh, and Shapiro having to pull him back without any help and like talk him into like, oh, I'm going to get you a date with Betty Grable and like talk him off this ledge of please just let me die in this like 45 second moment in this movie. And you're just like, holy shit, this is incredible. Uh, and yeah, his performance is amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just, yeah, it's like, I know that, you know, like Saving Private Ryan, like the characters are so, it's not like, like the characters are so delinquent, like they're such types, you know, right. it's like, Hey, I'm all, can't wait to get back to the Bronx. Or right. like, you know, the, <laughs> like Tex is the, is the sniper. And yeah. like, you know, they, they really, they are so that really like squeezed out of a mold, but, in a sort of reductive way and i don't know i don't know what the difference is i don't know what the like the special sauce is here where it's like mm. i never felt that i never felt like any of the characters i mean yeah like like you said like animal and shapiro are kind of the comic relief but they're but they are they're much more fleshed out characters than just that than that would yeah. suggest you know so it's like the you know yeah the the character played by richard erdman by by leonard from community like yeah, he's yeah. Not, you know he's he's not a one-note guy um none of none of them are infallible and they're you know they kind of they acknowledge they're not doing a great job of like holding up i mean you know it's yeah there's just these like weird ways it sort of subverts your expectations you know i i said at the beginning like oh i don't watch a lot of you know hollywood movies from the, movies from the 50s and it's like when you know often more often than not when i do i realize like i've been i've thought like oh i don't you know that i was you know i'm like i don't know what i'm trying to say it's like oh, i don't need to because <laughs> <laughs> because the politics will be retrograde or whatever, or the, yeah. you know, the mm. aesthetics will be, will be annoying. And it's like this, this did, this pulled off. This was so much more like did such a better job of making these people, people of not, again, not holding your hand again, of like absolutely avoiding treacle. Mm. Um, it, I don't know. It was really, it was really, really refreshing even as it, yeah. You know, again, it does not, it does not paint an accurate portrayal of like, not seeing <laughs> no. this. Yeah. But, it, but it's a it's a healthy <laughs> dose of comedy and cynicism that kind of come together. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I th it's a great time. Uh, thank you, Jake, for making us watch. <laughs> yeah. For making us watch Delag yeah. 17. Killed it. Yes. Uh, so, will, will you wait 15 years to watch the next movie that Jake uh, recommends you? <laughs> I will not. I will not wait 15 okay. years. I will. I will, uh, you know, get right to it. Um, I'm also going to, uh, you know, if anyone listening has a line on uh, Jake's white whale. Uh, which is a little movie called Boogie Town. Um, I know Jake has talked about this with you, Mike, but yes, uh, yeah. it is a, a a dance battle movie uh, where the dancers have magic powers. It was never released. What? The trailer is on YouTube. Uh, it's out there somewhere. It stars and, somebody. Uh, so somebody's in it. I'm blanking on who it is. Like there's yeah. a person. There's like a, a known person. Oh, it was. Uh, I think it's Brenda Song uh, from yeah, might, The Sweet yes. Life of Zach and Cody. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's basically what? um it's uh say like you you got served meets Romeo must die times <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. I'm and in. it's out there somewhere. Jake and I uh have been obsessed with it for quite a while but never have been able to see it because it doesn't exist. Uh or it was never released <laughs> right. rather. Um but yeah, uh that's that'll be next. That'll be next. <laughs> In 15 years, we'll watch that. We'll get there. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, but we're putting it out there on the podcast now. So if anybody is listening that somehow has access to Boogie Town, <laughs> please let us know. And uh, we'll forward that to Jake immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we'll do a do special episode on it. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, that's going to be it for this week. Uh, for Mike and Mike, go to, Mike and Mike and Mike go to the movies. Sorry. I just had a uh, a total mental image of like a somehow like revival Roxy screening of, <laughs> of, of <laughs> Boogie Town. Town. Yeah. A month straight of Boogie Town. <laughs> We're getting lost right. masterpiece. All three screens. It's Boogie Town, baby. <laughs> yes. Now uh, I do want to do. I do want to show Starlight Seventeen and Thirty Five. So that would be really fun. That would yeah, be great. Uh, Billy Wilder great. series could be pretty cool. There's a lot of good could stuff be, there. Oh, could be fun. Yeah, that'd be great. Yes. But all right. So Mike Emmons, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Uh, much Mike, appreciated. Mike, thank you so much. Of course. Uh, where can we find you online if people want to follow you for more of your movie opinions and whatnot? On Twitter at Michael J. Emmons one and on Letterboxd as just Mike Emmons. All right. And of course, if you're in Missoula, go to the Roxy Theater because Mike Emmons is the programming coordinator there and I'm the operations manager there and you should go see movies there. <laughs> Right. Keep keep us employed in Missoula. <laughs> uh, we love great. our jobs yeah. and we want them to stay. Yeah. Uh, Mike D, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, and if you want to donate to support the show, maybe pick a movie by an episode. Go ahead and do that on our Kofi page, Kofi.com slash Mike and Mike Pods, plural because we have two podcasts. And if you also want to help support the show by buying merch, t shirts, we got them. Mugs, no problem. Yes. Uh, stickers? Sure. Uh, <laughs> Shower <laughs> curtains? You know, why not? <laughs> why not? Uh, you can do that at Redbubble, mikeandmikepods.redbubble.com. Yes, I didn't can. know you guys had mugs. I yeah, love man. your logo, so I'm I'm going to go order a mug right now. Yeah, oh, get nice. us a mug. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a small cut of that profit. Redbubble takes the bulk of it, but it's good to have it out there. Um but uh, yes, absolutely. Go to Redbubble, get merch, and you can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, Radio Mike Sandwich Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DeCrecio, and that is Mike Emmons. Uh, don't forget to rate and review these show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. Uh, you can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside many other podcasts about all kinds of comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Uh, so next week, uh, it's time for a Mike makes Mike watch where it's, it's happening again already, Mike. It's happening again. We planned <laughs> stuff and then I forgot about it. Yes. Uh, so next week, uh, a special Valentine's day, Mike makes Mike watch. We're focusing on some classic cinematic romances here. Uh, I'm making Mike D watch Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown for the first time. That's uh, right. Which, uh, is very good. Uh, and I, and yeah. I, I might, re- I, it's <laughs> Emmons. Is that, you're not a big Tarantino guy. I know. Um, I am. A, I no, I am. I oh, mean, I'm are? not. Okay. I mean, not the world's biggest, but I'm. Okay, I'm, I'm I, 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 was, I was under the impression that you weren't. Maybe, maybe some of his more recent stuff you're not as as big on. I'm not sure. I feel like we had had a conversation where you weren't crazy about it. Anyway, what's your take on Jackie Brown? You know, top three, top. I mean, like one of the best movies of the '90s, and and wow. just a fantastic film. Nice. Yeah, top I, uh, three, definitely top three Tarantino's, and and probably top two. Yeah. Top top two Tarantino's, you mean? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think like I haven't, I you know, I haven't gone back and and watched it in a bit, but. Um, yeah, no, I love Jackie Brown. Nice. Yeah. Jackie Brown rules. It's the, I believe the one Tarantino movie that Mike D has not seen. Correct. Uh, and like, like Jake with slog 17, I've been trying to make him watch Jackie Brown for a really <laughs> long time. Uh, so now it's finally happening. We're doing it. Uh, he is watching Jackie Brown and, uh, in return, he's making me watch, uh, Park Chan-wook's thirst. Uh, yes. which uh, oh, nice. I have not seen yet. I believe it's still on the criterion channel and, uh, I'm very excited about that. I know you were trying to watch that too. I think at some point. Yeah, uh, like when yeah, it hit, when it hit Criterion seen, Channel. I haven't seen it, but I I love Park Chan Wook. I yeah, and uh, yeah, I'll be tuning in. Nice. Have you watched Have you watched the Decision to Leave yet? No. You should watch it. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I should. <laughs> 
I was busy it's watching. Too late. It's too busy. late. The year's over. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> I can't, I can't watch 2022 movies anymore. I'm done. Yeah. I'm I have to watch 50 that. more shorts from Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and of course, in the meantime, the complete works uh, just released its episode on Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon uh, with Michelle Yeoh, which is getting a new re-release in theaters. So people should uh, listen to the episode and check it out. Uh, and next week, we're talking The Touch, which is nowhere near as good as Crouching Tiger. Forget Hidden The Dragon. Touch. <laughs> uh, Michelle Yeoh, Dane Cook. It's a it's a match made in heaven. Oh, oh, <laughs> no. 2002, baby. There it is. Uh, and that is the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side.